Going through the book of Revelation here, kind of chapter by chapter, and um, it's a very uh, disturbing book in a lot of ways. But the, the book is focused on, again, the glory of Jesus Christ and His um, sovereign charge over the earth and His uh, soon coming. That He is going to be coming again into the world to bring about His uh, glorious kingdom in which evil will be swept away and the glory of Christ will reign forever and ever. Here on earth, um, not just in heaven, but here on earth, we will see Him. If, if, if we've held on to Him in faith and we've believed in Him, we will one day see Him and His glorious kingdom that's coming. And so we put our faith and trust and hope in that. Last couple of weeks, um, or last three weeks, we've been talking about this ancient battle coming to its close here at the end of the age. It began with um, the coming of Christ. In fact, the book of Revelation, I believe, covers the first coming of Christ into the world until the second coming of Christ into the world. Um, it's, it, it's not just historical, but it's also futuristic. I think there's a balance between those two. Um, I was talking to dad, my dad the other day, and of course, you know, he, he, he was a pastor and he studied Revelation for years. And uh, he's come to the conclusion, he's watching this guy that's all about history and says that this ended um, in AD 70. And uh, th then you get the other side of this where um, you get people like uh, David Jeremiah and John Hagee. They say all of this is in the future. Um, I, I think you have to have a balance here. I, I think if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you've got to have this, this idea that this, this began with Christ's first coming, which is when John... The, the one who gave this vision what was alive and receiving that um, vision from Christ and he sees all the way to the end um, when Christ returns. So I think you have to hold those two intention to understand what's happening here in the book of Revelation. But anyway, I want to read to you from uh, chapter 15. Um, remember, we're still talking about this ancient battle that began with the dragon trying to destroy the Christ child. And when he couldn't destroy the Christ child, he tried to destroy um, the, the woman, the mother of this child, which is a, a symbolism for Israel. And when he couldn't destroy Israel, um, at the end, he's, tur he's turning against the saints. And uh, he, he's after the saints in, in this ancient battle. And so uh, what's happening is, is that now we're getting... In, this is typical of what happens in the book of Revelation. You get a, an announcement of the end from heaven before the action begins to take place. And 14 and 15 are the announcement. And 15 continues the announcement from chapter 14. Well, let's read verse, uh, chapter 15 here. It says this, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what happened to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the heavens. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. 
All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And after this I looked at the sanctuary, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with gold sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask God that you would add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. One of the illusions that many, especially American Christians, have about God is that he is this great grandfather in the sky who is permissive and gives us all we want. And, and, it's, and we have this idea that as long as we're good and nice people, then He's going to welcome us into heaven. And, and, and we tend to acknowledge God only when we need Him for something. When, when I need Him for, you know, um, uh, my, my finances have collapsed, and, and I, I, need, I need money from somewhere, I need somebody to bring me food from somewhere, or, my, um, or I've got, uh, you know, uh, bad news about... Um, a disease that I have. Well, I, I, need, I need God now. And uh, sometimes we, we um, forget that, that God is bigger than, than everything and, and anything that, that, that's in the world. We kind of want to put Him in our back pocket and pull Him out whenever we, we need Him. And when we do that, what we're doing really is we're making God, the, 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 this little God, just like the pagans did long ago, the, the, the little God that they pulled out whenever they, they needed something. Whenever they needed their, their, their crops to do well that year, they pulled out the little idol out of their, their pocket and uh, kissed it and did whatever and uh, sacrificed to them. You know, sometimes we, we treat God in that way. But, but one of the things I see in, in the book of Revelation, and, and, and even here in verse 15, I mean, it's other places, but it, it especially struck me here in chapter 15, I mean, how big God really is. And how in control God really is. And how glorious God really is. And, and, and the response of those saints that were in heaven was to sing the song of His salvation. In this scene it begins with, Then I saw another sign in heaven, John says, Great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. As we said last time, you know, it, it talks about um, the messenger angels that went forth to announce God's um, uh, judgment on those, especially on the kingdom that the beast establishes, um, the, the, this um, anti-kingdom of God called Babylon, the, the, the wicked kingdom of the earth, and, and he announces all, all these judgments upon it and how it's about to be destroyed. And then uh, Jesus comes and puts in his sickle and, and sweeps the harvest of souls um, from the earth. And then after that, another angel comes in, puts in its sickle, and, and, and brings judgment on all the wicked people of the earth. 
Both are, are there. Well, it tells me something about God. When, when, when the, the saints here in this image are singing the song of glory, they, one of the things they say here is, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. So this, this chapter begins the final push of God's judgment on the earth. And, and, and we're saying that, that, Lord, you alone are holy. You alone are, are worthy to receive glory. You alone are, are, are the one to be worshipped. That tells me that, that God is bigger than anything you and I could, could be imagining. And sometimes we, we have such, such th th this small, limited view of who God is. The great-grandfather in the sky who's got uh, candy in his pocket to give out to the kids when, the, when they come see him. And, uh, and although that, that, that's a nice image for us, and we, we love our grandparents, that is not who God is. And that's not to say that God isn't love. I believe God is love. And He does, he does love, love the world. He does love the sinners. He does love the saints. The saints have a special place in their heart because they've surrendered to Him. The sinners um, have rejected God and have hurt God's heart. God still loves them. But, that, but in, in their rejection and in their rebellion, that, that they're going on a path of self-destruction. God still loves them. But God is also the God of wrath, the God of sovereignty, the God of holiness. And when I say wrath, too, a lot of times that brings up this image that God is just this angry man ready to strike. The term wrath simply means God is about to bring forth His justice. When we think about that term, God being holy, what we first of all mean is that God is utterly unique in the universe. He is the only one. There is none before Him, none after Him, none like Him. No one could, could even come close to, to being what He is. There's another sense where this term holy means that, that um, no, no, there's no one greater than Him. He is the, the ultimate of greatness. There's also, in the Bible, when it describes God's holiness, it talks about both His love and His goodness. And, but how can we still call God good if He doesn't do anything about the bad? How can we call God loving and just, or especially just, how can we call God just while, he, while, while allowing injustice to continue unchecked. We, we have the, the, this, this permissive image of God who, 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 who just exists for me, which is the, the ultimate selfishness, I believe, without realizing that, that God is ultimate goodness, and because of that, He will not allow wickedness and evil to continue. And he is, he's about to pour forth his, both His salvation and His wrath on the earth. God, God is loving and just. But God is holy. And He is not going to 
allow evil and injustice to continue on earth. So his reward is for those who follow him in his ways and his judgment is, is on the wicked people of the earth who rebelled and opposed against him, who opposed him. And so those, it's not that God doesn't love them, but God wants to protect all that's good, all that's holy, all that's wonderful about the world. And those who reject him have really pulled themselves away and have brought this judgment on themselves. And so we see, you know, as I was just saying, the saints are before the throne and the Lamb of God, the 144,000, which is a symbolic number for, for, for the, the whole people of God. They're singing both the song of Moses and the song of Lamb together. Those Old Testament saints and, 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 and the New Testament saints. The Old Testament saints sang the song of Moses. The song of Moses was about their salvation through the Red Sea. God brought them out of, out of slavery in Egypt. He brought them through the waters of, of the Red Sea, sort of like a baptism, and brings them into the wilderness and teaches them about Himself and how to live a holy life. The New Testament saints, their salvation is through the blood of Jesus Christ and His Lamb that He sent, which the waters and the salvation of, of the Old Testament saints is, is a, a picture of this, uh, this salvation in the Lamb. But together, the one people of God come together here, and, and, and they sing the song of Moses, the song of salvation, and, and, and the song of salvation in the Lamb together. In heaven, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of heavens. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For you are right, for your righteous acts have been revealed. They're singing that new song in heaven. They're, they're praising Him in heaven. They're, they're worshiping in heaven. Because God has brought them through the, the, these tough and terrible times of the tribulation. Yes, they, they suffered at the hands of the beast. Yes, they, they, they were martyred. Yes, they, they were persecuted and suffered. But they stayed true to Him throughout. And, 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 and in doing so, they've, they've received their reward. And now they're singing the song of salvation before God and His throne. And before the final push, we see this scene in heaven where God is, is announcing the beginning of the end. And, and these saints are praising God because the end is about to come. The final end is about to happen. But then, after this scene... You, 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 you see the terrible scene of God's wrath. The, the angels are coming forth from the sanctuary and, and, and the smoke of, of um, God's uh, anger is, is coming out of the sanctuary. And, and these angels, as, uh, th these commanding angels, uh, they says that these angels have a gold sash around their um, chest, which is a symbol of rank. The, 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 these are the chief angels coming out from, from the sanctuary. And uh, one of the four living creatures, if you remember the worship scene at the beginning in chapter 5, um, he, he, he's there and he's handing out these uh, bowls that have, of um, probably like burning incense. Um, and and uh, he's, 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 saying, he's handing out these bowls to these seven angels for God to pour out the final plagues upon the earth. And... 
in response to what the wicked have done to the saints. And this is the final push. This is the final wrath of God against the earth. The beginning of the end. And, and woe to those who dwell on the earth. Um, when Revelation talks about those who dwell on the earth, it's not talking about all peoples. It's talking about those who reject God, have turned away from Him, who are focused on the earth. They're people of the earth. Their focus is on the earth and, and, and their own material wealth, material needs. The, the world is all there is. They, they, they don't want to have anything to do with God or what's beyond. They, they've rejected Him in their hearts. They've turned away. They've worshipped this a great leader, the beast, and taking his mark and bow the knee to him in, in opposition to God, the final push is about to happen. And God in his power is about to sweep away evil. Now, what does all this mean for us? And I've kind of hinted around at it. We, we've talked about it the last few weeks. It's kind of a repeating theme you know, there's a lot being said about God, about God being holy and um, being utterly unique in the universe. And there's no one greater than Him and no one who can sit beside Him. And He is also ultimate goodness. And because He's ultimate goodness, he, he has, He's the only one that has the right to judge the earth. What it means for us is that... Um, we need to surrender our lives fully to God. And I'm afraid some people have, the, again, the, the, this small image where, of, of God, where God surrenders to our will, <laughs> to what we want, to what I want, rather than to what He wants. Sometimes I think we want um, God as, as our Savior rather than having God as, as our Lord. And not just the, the Savior from sins, but Savior from situations that we find ourselves in. Whether it's our, our health or our finances or our um, personal relationships or, or, or our work or, or whatever it is. We, we want God to be our, our rescuer from, from all these situations. We want Him to, to bring us divine, all this divine help um, in our time of need. But we, but we forget that God's salvation is about our own sin within our heart and, and, and our own self-centeredness. And what salvation is supposed to do is to break through that self-centeredness so that we can see God for who He really is the sovereign creator of the universe, the ultimate good. Salvation is helping us to see God for who He is so that we ourselves will surrender to Him to give Him our worship and praise for the salvation He gives, to, to, to break free from... from uh, the uh, pattern of, of sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting. To break free from those things which hold us back. Because really and truly what human beings were made to be 
We were made to be holy as God is holy. Not necessarily in His, in His divine being itself, but in terms of the goodness that God is. He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to, to be holy as well. He wants us to cast off sin. He wants us to uh, um, surrender to Him. He wants us to worship Him. He wants us, even more than just worship, God wants a loving relationship with us. And He wants us to love others as He loves. And if we continue to have the, the small view of God, just this um, being who meets my needs, you know, we're, we're going to find ourselves slipping away um, um, from all of His love and goodness towards us. And we're going to take on that, that mentality that the earth dwellers have, the ones who are about to be swept away in these final judgments. Looking at the beginning of the end helps us to realize that that end is God Himself and that nothing else on this earth really matters as far as this material world goes. Again, Revelation is not just a prediction about the end. It's not just about telling us about the future events when Christ returns. Anytime these prophets warned us about the future, they were always speaking to the current generation of people, telling them, you need to repent now and, and return to God's covenant, to return to God's will and way, to return to God's goodness. And what God has done is He has met us part way by sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die as a sacrifice so that we don't have to die under the weight of, of, and curse of sin. But if, if, we, if, if we confess Christ as our Savior, He saves us from our sins. He gives us the full revelation of God. God sends His Holy Spirit to dwell within us to help us to live according to His will and way. It's not about me, it's about Him. And, and, and here at the, at, at the beginning of the end, God is reminding all people. And he, he, He's reminding us, and the reason that John is giving, giving us this vision is that what we see is at the end, it's all about God. And in His hand is both salvation and judgment. Salvation for those who surrender to Him. Judgment for those who reject and rebel against Him. And so, we, we as, um, if we say that we love God, and, and, and we say that we believe in God, then what we must do is in our hearts, seek Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Jesus taught. And all these things will be added to you. In the Sermon on the Mount, in that context, Jesus is saying, don't worry, don't be anxious about the future, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Don't keep running after those, the, pursuing those things. Put your faith and trust in God. Seek His kingdom first and His righteousness. And if you do that, all the other things will fall into place. 
Because, again, in the message of Revelation, God is all there is in the first place. And He is in control of all these things. And He is in control of, of, of everything that, that you need. But He is not going to be your slot machine. He's not going to be your vending machine. <laughs> God cannot be tamed in that way. What we have to do is surrender to Him ourselves. Surrender to Him truly from the heart. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we do that, the Bible also says that the old things have passed away and all things will become new within our lives. The old sinful past is swept away. We have a new life in Him where we can go forward. And we continue to go forward as He sanctifies us and makes us holy. The Holy Spirit comes to make us holy, to restore that image of God within us. And so, so as, as we live in Christ in faith, at the same time, God is cleansing us from within. And the, and the more we, we have faith in Christ, the more we trust in Him, the more we surrender to Him, the more that, that, that moral impurity is removed from our hearts. But we have got to remember that God is bigger than us. He's bigger than the world. That all things ultimately end in Him. And that salvation and judgment are both in His hands. We've got to remember those things about God if we want a fruitful life now. And if we want to be part of this kingdom that He's bringing into the world in the future. Because th th this is already written. Th this was decided how this was going to happen before the world was even made. The Bible tells us over and over again. From the foundation of the world, God has had a plan for this universe. Revelation is about the end of that plan. This is already set in stone. This is going to happen. It's being revealed before the time comes. So now, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of surrender. Give yourselves fully to Jesus Christ. Let's stand.